0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. As you know, we've been doing a series on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's an important figure in your life. Why? Because when Jesus went to heaven, the Bible says that he told the disciples that he was going to send them another comforter. And a lot of times, the only time we've ever, many of us as we're raised in traditional churches, the only time we were familiar with the Holy Spirit is when we quoted, um, uh, I forgot what's the name of what we quote in churches, um, uh, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's all we get as far as information about him. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. We found that out from Scripture. You can go online, by the way, and listen to these script- messages, they'll inspire you. Number two, we found, uh, we found out that he was and still is God's supernatural uh, presence in the earth. He sent his spirit into the earth to live on the inside of us. Say this out loud. Say this out loud. I have, I have a, living a living being living on the inside of me. Yeah, you do. And I said this a couple weeks ago, I think I said, or I said, you know, uh, if I decided, uh, Vicky and I rang the doorbell and we came over to your house, uh, would you all agree that you'd probably act a little bit better than maybe sometimes you don't when nobody's watching? Okay, there's three of you that agree. Uh, but, And so, and so uh, I want you to realize that you have a real person living in your house, this house, and it is the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're born again, if Christ is in your life and you need to be ever present of that. Every supernatural event that happened in the Bible that benefited people uh, uh, was, um, uh, was the manifestation of the power of God's spirit. Now, Jesus told his disciples that when he left, he was going to send them another comforter. Now, that word comforter is actually the word parakletos. That's the Greek word. It's not that important, but that's the, that's the word parakletos. And it has a sevenfold meaning. And I'll read them off because it's in the Amplified. He says, he calls it your comforter. Count, he calls the Holy Spirit your comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and your standby. Amen. Now, um... But this morning I want to specifically target the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now He has many purposes, but I'm going to I'm going to focus on one, and I think is the most important purpose as far as uh, the sinner and the saint of light. Amen. Both sinner and saint uh, will um, is, benefits from this purpose. John 16, verse 11. Now, Jesus is instructing or introducing the person and ministry of the Spirit uh, to the disciples. Here's what he said. When he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict and convince. Those are the two words we're going to focus on today. He will convict and convince the world. Now, again, that word world doesn't mean, remember when Jesus said in John 17, Though you're in the world, you're not of the world. But in this specific scripture, he's simply talking about humanity overall. Uh, that's what he's referencing here. He says, "Because I want you to see, it's both uh, um, targeting the sinner and the saint. Okay, the person who's born again, the person who's not. When he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin, about righteousness, uprightness of." Of heart and right standing with God, and about judgment, or that word means justice. Now, about sin, because they do not believe in me, trust in, rely on, and adhere to me. And and I just just let me throw this out. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, Christians can get to this point where they stop trusting in, relying on, and adhering to God and His Word. If you agree, say amen to that. I mean, it can happen. Okay, it does happen about righteousness, uprightness of heart and right standing with God, because I go to the father and you will see me no more, no longer. And about judgment or justice, because the ruler, evil genius prince of this world, Satan, is judged and condemned and he's already sentenced, a sentence is already passed on him. And the reason that's such good news is that his power over your life has been broken. And the only power Satan ever ever had had in your life or ever will have in your life is the power that you give him. You give Him power through your negative confession. You give Him power when you when you, uh, when you uh, live more in the flesh than they do in the spirit. Amen. I mean, it's just that's just fact. Okay. Now, verse eight says this: When the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove. Uh, he will reprove the world. Now, here's what it, here's what the word "reprove" means. Uh, it means to conf- it means confute. That word "confute" means to prove one as wrong. Uh, The word reprove means to admonish, convict, and convince the world, and I put both sinner and saint, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we see our first example of this in Acts, the second chapter. When Peter stood up in Acts 2, after the Holy Ghost fell, Acts, the second chapter, Peter stood up, and remember, 10 days before that, he had had denied the, uh, excuse me, uh, 50 days before this, he had denied the living Christ. And so, now he stands up under the inspiration and under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 37, when they, the Jews that were listening, when they heard, when they, when they heard the message, uh, the Bible says they were pricked, or, or that word means pierced through in their hearts. Amen. They felt the piercing or the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And why? What was he doing? He was exposing their sinful condition. Hallelujah. And the Bible, see, without, listen, this is important. Without conviction, you cannot be converted. Without conviction, listen, you cannot be forgiven. Because conviction is what compels you to get before God and repent for the way you're living, whether it's B.C. or A.D. Okay? And, and, uh Uh, So the Bible says 3,000 of these Jews responded to the message. What does that mean? They received that conviction as truth in their hearts that they were sinners needing a Savior. And they received, they yielded to the convicting power of the Spirit and they were born again. Now, on the other hand, now I don't know know how many were there. It says 3,000 got saved. Let's just simply say there were 6,000 there. And 3,000 didn't respond. What happened? Here's what happened. When they heard the message, because they weren't open to the message, instead of that message being convicting, that message became condemning. And that's the difference between... Uh, condemnation or conviction and condemnation. When you're reconvicted, that means you're opened your heart to the Holy Spirit. When you're condemned, that means you simply closed your will to God's will. And there's people that will come to church and they'll hear the message and they'll leave here unchanged because they simply override God's will by their own. And the most powerful force that you have in your life is your will. God gave you a will. You can will to accept the fact that you can't do life without him. Or you can just simply in your rebellion, in your pride, and in your stubbornness, not receive the help that you need. Amen. Say, I need help. I need help. <laughs> We all do. Can I have it? Amen? amen. So, those who choose to believe the gospel... Uh, they experience an inward conviction or a piercing in their hearts, and those who refuse, they experience condemnation. there's the difference. Always remember that. Now and, and turn, if you would, to John uh, uh, and, uh, John the third chapter. Every one of you are familiar with uh, John 3:16. Uh, Let's all say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, is that up there? Uh, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. That means you, you that are born again today, at one point in your life, you were of the world. And then you heard the gospel, conviction came because you were open to it, and that conviction created a conversion. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Then verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Or he that is, he adheres to in, and relies on the redemptive work of Christ shall not be condemned. But he that believeth not or doesn't yield to the truth of his redeeming grace Uh, he uh, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God now I want to read the message bible in the next two verses this will clear this up what we're talking about this is the crisis we're in God light streamed into the world but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness 3,000 ran towards the light the others that weren't changed ran towards the darkness let's go on they went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Watch this. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God-light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But everyone, anyone working and living in truth and, re, rea, uh, and reality welcomes God's light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. That's why I think it's amazing. We have different definitions of insanity, of insanity, but I think insanity is simply your life is a complete wreck. And you won't surrender to Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? And that, 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 wow. So we just keep preaching the gospel. And those who are open to it, their hearts will be convicted, lives be changed, yeah. and those who are close to it, they'll leave condemned as they came. Say, say this out loud: I am open, I am open. to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to just for a few minutes talk about conviction. The greatest gift that you can have as a sinner and as a believer: conviction. Because without it, there's no repentance. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit said to me years ago, and you know, I, I quoted often. Literally, I'm sitting there and I heard him say this, and I wrote it down right away. And, um, and of course, uh, he, he confirmed it with his word. But here's what he said to me The conviction to do right must become stronger than the temptation to do wrong. Not quoted that often, but I've never stopped to really explain it. And I apologize for that. But that is a true statement. It came from the Holy Spirit. The conviction to do right, watch this, must. Become stronger than the temptation to do wrong, or you'll simply do the wrong. Yeah. So, you're, you, you have a twofold nature that's competing for um, ascendancy in your life. You've got the Adamic nature, this is this outside man uh, that you got, you know, that you got, it's your earth suit that is made in the image and likeness of mom and dad. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and then you have. Of the inward spirit nature that God breathed into you uh, the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, okay? So inside you're a spirit being, on the outside you're a Adamic being. So each one is, is, uh, uh, is always wrestling, trying to, be, uh, trying to take the leadership in your life. One produces death, the other produces life, yeah. amen. And this is where the greatest challenge in your life lies. So the conviction to do right must become stronger than the temptation to do wrong, and that can only them. And this can only happen when you as you cultivate a relationship with God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every day I've been practicing cultivating this awesome, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's amazing how every day I see Him. Uh, 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 speaking to me and giving me uh, direction. It's just a beautiful thing. If we just realized how important he is in our lives, I believe with all my heart, we could avoid so much pain if we just stopped and listened to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I wrote this down. You've heard the statement: "He who lives by his uh, he he uh, he's a man who lives by his convictions." Well, that can be true whether there are good convictions or bad convictions. And um, uh, let me give the definition of conviction: it is the act or process of convincing, the state of being convinced, or a fixed or firm belief. And I'll give you first a negative, then I'll give you a positive example. The negative example is the two first boys that were, came out of Adam and Eve was Cain and Abel. Cain, the Bible says in Genesis 4, 3, literally this is the phrase in the King James, and I do like it. It says, in the process of time, over time, not, not very long, but over time, uh, Cain uh, became, listen, be, became convinced with a firm belief That his own flesh and brother Abel, his own flesh and blood, Abel, was Cain's greatest threat to both his present and future. Therefore, Cain carried out his convictions and took his brother out in the field and murdered him. He was carrying out his convictions. He believed that Abel, if Abel was just out of his life, he would experience a far greater quality of life. And because Cain rejected the Holy Spirit's conviction, he became the first convict. Biblical conviction is derived from and based on one's commitment to God's Word. Biblical conviction is really the product of three things that characterizes the spiritually mature believer apart from the immature believer. Number one, a commitment to what God promised in his word, that being your final authority. Number two, a confidence stemmed from the conviction of that commitment. And number three, the courage to act on that conviction with the God kind of faith. So commitment, confidence, courage were all present in the hearts of the heroes of faith throughout the Bible. When God told Noah to build an ark to the saving of his household, listen, this is good. It required commitment, confidence, and courage, right? And it was God's, listen, it was God's inward conviction of the Holy Ghost that carried him through those 120 years until he completed the ark. No, I mean, that is the, that you talk about faith. Amen. Is that powerful? Yeah. You take Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. He, you know, he was promised a child at the age of 75 years old, not realizing that it would take 25 years. And But the Bible says that he had, he had those three virtues, commitment, confidence, and courage. And again, it, that because he had that, he was yielded to the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit's conviction that carried him for those 25 years. We've been pastoring 40 years. It's the convicting power of the Spirit that keeps us going. Amen. That's how important He is in your life. Can I say this to all? Just to understand what... Understand this. God is a family God. How many believe He's a family God? We call Him Father he's always been a father. He had a father's heart before he was a father. And so he understands that you have to get up in the morning. You have to shower, hopefully. And you have to eat a breakfast. And you have to get to work. Why? Because you have to provide for your family. When my daddy was just a little boy, I think he said the interest rates were like you know, well thank God, they're like that today, in some cases, but really low, so, and, and provision, you, a lot of people farmed, you know, every quarter, uh, you know, about every, uh, on every four square miles, there was four farms, and, and everybody farmed, grew their own, you know, all their garden stuff, you know, we never hardly went to town for anything, and, um, uh, can I have a an name, and somebody, one of them saying amen to all the kids, they looking look at it, you're going, ah, right, right. you mean food comes from our farm, what's a farm, Can I have an amen? Amen. And uh, I have no idea where I'm going with this story, so I'll keep going. (laughs) He understands that you have a family. He understands this. He understands that you have to get up in the morning. You've got responsibilities. He understands all that. That's why, you know, earlier on, Jeff was promoting the um, daily devotion. Why? Because it's simply, an, uh, it's simply an opportunity for you to read something that inspires you before you go to work. Can I have an amen? A story that will lift you up and inspire you to keep your faith and hope in God. Uh, I just simply wanted to let you know that because, you know, it, life, it, it, it is, it, it's, it's hectic. I just chuckled the other day. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching. Uh, I was watching uh, two people standing on the ramp facing each other texting, and I said, "You mean you can't even talk? You got to text each other three feet away?" That was just a joke. They weren't really texting each other. But it seems like you know we don't we don't communicate even like we you know are supposed to you know. But God understands. I just want you to know He understands all the responsibility you have. That's why it's even of greatest importance that you keep your faith in hope in God. If you agree, say Amen. amen. Now, uh, so uh, uh, Romans four sixteen says that Abraham is called the father of a Saul. What does that mean? From the standpoint of faith, he, like Noah, was the epitome of biblical conviction that he held on to the promise and the spirit of God graced him for what he called him to do. When Joseph found himself standing face to face with moral compromise, listen, it was the inward conviction of the spirit that delivered him. And maybe you don't understand that story. He was, uh, you know, he sold to slavery by his brothers. He was shipped to Egypt. And through, because of his faithfulness to God, he served God daily. Every day he was committed to God. And because of that, he had spiritual conviction on the inside of him. Well, and, and the Bible says one day Pharaoh's wife laid hold of him. She wanted to take him uh, 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 into a moral compromise. And, and the Bible says, the Bible says after many days. After many, and he kept resisting her. And i will just say this because I just want I mean I just want you to know she could not I don't think she was an ugly woman. The pharaohs had access to every kind of woman you could imagine, so she's probably extremely beautiful, and, and he was just a young buck. And and so, you know, and so they finally got alone. It was a perfect scenario for moral compromise. And, and, and here's, what, here's what came out of the heart of Joseph. He says, how can I do this wicked thing, watch this, and sin against God? He didn't say, how could I do this and not get caught? I mean, the conviction to do right at that point had, was stronger than the temptation to do wrong. And the Bible says he ran for his life. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. See, we live in a world today where the culture is seeping into the church where what used to be wrong is now right. What used to be uh, shameful is now there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with uh, having sexual experiences outside the marriage. There's nothing wrong with smoking a little weed. There's nothing wrong with having a little drink. There's not, I'm telling you, I, and I just, it just, It. why? Why do you want to live there? Uh, because there's no answer. There's no, there's no joy in any of that. And again, you cultivate that relationship With the word of God and the spirit of God, and you will never, ever, 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 ever find your place, find yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time. Never. Never. That's how powerful he is. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 5. We'll just read a couple more verses and we'll close. Hebrews 5. This is Paul writing to the Hebrewic believers. Now, listen, and he's rebuking them, he's reproving them. Because he's frustrated that they haven't grown spiritually since they were were converted. Here's what he says. He says, you have been believers for for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. How many agree that we teach people a precept and example? Amen. Amen. So this is what he's getting at. He says, instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Here's the Passion Bible. Every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced or convicted by the revelation of righteousness. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be convicted by righteousness. Amen. Amen. I mean, if I'm about to say something wrong, I mean, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I bet all of us in here have said something out of our mouth and then wish we would have never said it. And I guarantee you, and I'm telling you this because it's so important, the Holy Spirit will interrupt you if you'll give heed to his counsel and direction. He'll interrupt you and say, no, no, don't do that. Amen. Remember the last time you did? <laughs> and he's awesome. He, he really is. He goes on and says this. But solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. His spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. He knows the difference between right and wrong. And they have been adequately trained but what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. And my question to you this morning is, how far have you come spiritually in your life? Now, we've been serving God long enough. Are we as mature as we we should be? Probably not. I mean, we've been serving God for 50 years. But my question to you is that, how far have you come spiritually in your life? Or is your carnal nature, is your carnal nature far more evidenced in your life than your inward nature? I mean, that's the, you, know, you just have to answer that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, that's between you and God. But it's something to seriously consider. Raise your hand if you want to glorify and honor God in your life as a Christian. I do too. Amen. So that's what, you know, and then sec, number two is, What is standing between you and the spiritual maturity that God has for you? You know, that's up to you too. It's funny how we want to live over here to the edge of the, right to the edge of the world, you know. And see how close we can get without falling in. I'll leave you at these, Psalms 51. These are the last two verses, and then we'll pray. Now in Psalms 51, David... And that's something we've been talking about this for 3,000 years. David. No, more, longer than that. About 3,500 years. David, the story is that while kings go out to war, the Bible says in 1 Samuel, David stayed behind. Instead of taking the lead and fighting his war, he had stayed behind in Jerusalem, and guess what happened? Bathsheba. This beautiful young lady, knowing that all the men, including the king, were out to war, is bathing on her roof. You'll find when you study, God never blamed her for one thing. And while, of course, guess what? He looks out his window and he he sees Bathsheba. He knows that she belongs to his number one general of the army. Great friend, personal friend. And he calls her up. And they have an intimate relationship. She gets pregnant. And instead of simply just repenting and getting together with him and saying how sorry he was, he tries to hide it. He tries to first get him drunk so that he can have an intimate relationship with his wife and so that he can cover it up. See, you can't cover anything up. Jesus said, there's nothing hidden that shall not come to light. Should keep us humble, shouldn't it? So anyway, the story goes on to say that, you know, he, what did he do? He put, he, what was his name? I, I'm going blank. Yeah, Uriah, Uriah. He put him in the front lines of the war and got him killed. Because he, he ordered all the men back instead of Uriah and he killed him. And uh, Samuel came to David and he told him his story. He said, David, I want to tell you a story. And David said, well, go ahead, carry on. He said there was a very poor man and he had nothing in life, literally nothing. All he had was a little lamb. He had raised that little lamb, loved it, took care of it, fed it. That's all he had. He had nothing else in life. And there was a neighborly man who was a king, uh, excuse me, who was a rich man. And he had thousands of sheep. I mean, he was just, I mean, Thousands of sheep to pick, uh, choose from. But that rich man went over and took that little poor man's sheep and killed it and ate it. What do you think should happen to that rich man? David turned red and just the veins popping out of his neck said, he should be killed. And Samuel the prophet said, that rich man is you. And immediately he pierced in his heart conviction but see he could have saved a whole lot of heartache if he had just yielded the conviction to go to war rather than stay home and compromise Amen. and the bible says and i only say this because we that are older we a lot of times we just simply we wear the scars of our bad choices we we, we wear them all the days of our life Amen. yes we can be free from them but the scars are still there and the Bible says the sword never left his house. His boys rebelled against him. One of his boys tried to take the kingdom from him. One of his boys raped his sister. I mean, the curse, the Bible says, does not come without a cause. And this man who was David, he, the, the, he had the heart of God. He had the heart of God. He came after the part of God. Yet, he allowed the temptation because he didn't grow In God, he allowed the temptation to become greater than the conviction and it cost him dearly. Wow, what a story. So here's David repenting before God. I've shed tears reading this. He said, God, please create in me a clean heart and renew a right, persevering and steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Sir, then I will teach transgressors transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted and returned to you. Sir, if you'll forgive me, I'll use this as a testimony to others of your great mercy. Verse 16. For you delight not in sacrifice or else I would give it. You find no pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. And a broken, contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly, thoroughly penitent, such, a oh God, you will not despise. All he wanted, God, free me. Can you lift this thing from me? And God forgave him. And he went on to fulfill his destiny as being king of Israel, yet not without the deep scars of his mistakes. And so we can, you know, as right now, present, today, right now, today is today, and we can leave here longing to be closer to God, longing to hear the voice of His Spirit, because it is real. And I'm not trying to be flaky with you kids at all. I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm not trying, I, I, I want you to know the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. And it literally, he, there's, I'm sure, and maybe he doesn't get frustrated, but actually the Bible talks about frustrating God's grace Uh, but but can you imagine him trying to it's like you talking to your child and you're simply trying to get something through to them but they just won't listen and so we have a responsibility to make some decisions that will put us in the right position to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches because he's speaking. How many here want to hear what the Spirit is saying to you in the day we're living in? Amen. Amen. Musicians, would you come forward? And as they come forward, I'll read this final verse. And it's in Psalms 32. Again, it's just so beautiful how what David says here. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now look, look at this. Watch this. When I refused, David said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all the day long. Listen, God, He never, He doesn't sit and put His hand of judgment upon you, you lousy, you low life piece of crud. I can't stand you. He's not that way, but the devil is. God is there wooing you to your knees so that you repent. That's why I said earlier in the first service, uh, the greatest, uh, the worst message ever preached today is uh, this message that uh, preaches our preaching of no repentance. Are you kidding me? Let's go on. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Come on, can you give God praise for that? You forgave me. He murdered Uriah, he committed adultery, he lied. And yet God the depths of God's mercy the depths of God's mercy goes deeper than the depth of any sin you can commit. He says, All my guilt is gone. Therefore let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment. For you are my hiding place, you protect me from trouble, you surround me with songs of victory bow your head if you would today and I know I've taken some time but thank you for giving it to me you online thank you for joining us today if you need, if there's things standing between you and God please forgive please forgive years ago God taught me man when you, you there's times I mean probably more than not there's times you have to love by faith there's times you have to show mercy by faith there's times you have to you have to forgive by faith Come on, everyone. You have to. You can't just hold on to things because it will end up destroying you. I mean, the first thing that Jesus said to his disciples after he breathed upon them to receive the Holy Ghost, that's when they were born again in John, the 20th chapter. When he breathed upon them and they were born again, he said, the first thing out of Jesus' mouth then was any sins that you remit, they'll be remitted. Any sins that you retain, they'll be retained. Don't hold on to stuff. Let it go by faith. God will heal your relationships. God will heal your heart. God will heal your present so that you can have a future. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30. We also have a midweek service on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.